Happy New Year. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today, and I think it's safe to say that the world is uh, collectively tired, collectively tired. Uh, we're living in a day of multiple predictions of, of panicky doomsday scenarios. Uh, multiple media platforms uh, offered cynical predictions and pessimistic takes uh, for the new year just over the past few days. Los Angeles Times headlined the first day of 2022 like this. Is the end nigh? Maybe, but we've survived so far. The writer Virginia Hefferman said this, despite offering true signs of light in the gloom, none of the gains made in 2021 mean that the end of the world is not nigh. You know, basically people are saying the world's falling apart. New York Times doubled down on much of the same, speaking of an existential threat. Uh, Simon Tisdall of The Guardian says, For most people on Earth and a handful in space, 2022 will be another year of living dangerously. The Hill warned, despite steps forward in 2021, there's still a path to lose control of the climate system and put civilization at risk. All I can tell you is you can find... uh, no lack of these kinds of doomsday predictions. It's all going to depend on who you want to listen to. I think one of the reasons uh, that is so crucial, we gather as a church and we, we do what we do. We, we drench our service in the word. We read the word numerous times in the service. We pray. We sing gospel-centered christ exalting songs because those are the things that defrost our hearts those are the things that that recalibrate us to the truth and there's a lot out there that you can be listening to right now I have a very simple yet profound message this first Sunday of 2022 in this passage we're in today I want you to see that sober, serious-minded self-control is the best thing for you to pursue in 2022. That doesn't mean you can't have fun. That doesn't mean you can't laugh. That doesn't mean you can't have joy. The idea is, this passage is going to show us that you're to live with sober, serious-minded self-control because as a Christian, if you're a Christian today, your salvation is guaranteed. So you can have joy and laughter, you do, in Christ, yet grounded in sober-mindedness. That's what we're going to see today. Paul was writing to a group of people who understood the nature of the church. They understood what it meant to be a part of the church. They were transformed. They were new creatures in Christ. They were living in a new day of spiritual life after living in spiritual darkness all their lives vastly different mindset than the consumer mindset many have adopted where people view the church as what they can get from it rather than what they can give they had turned to god from idols to serve the living and true god and to wait actively for jesus to return and they were dependently trusting the lord they were in a local assembly and the people became very dear to them they were sharing the word and their lives 
family bonds were being built and strengthened, and no matter what persecution came at them, and they were seeing some heavy persecution, they were able to stand firm for Jesus and the gospel. And what Paul is telling them now, nearing, nearing the end of 1 Thessalonians, he's telling them very strongly. In fact, he's making two exhortations to serious, sober-minded self-control because their salvation was guaranteed. The first point, and you see this in verses 6 and 7, the first exhortation, and both exhortations are very, are very tightly connected. The first is this. He's saying to them, live soberly and watch for temptation. Verse 6, he says, so then. That's therefore. He's starting a new line of thought. So then let us not sleep. That doesn't mean taking a nap. That doesn't mean sleeping at night. This is the idea of spiritual sleep. This is the idea of, of not being awake spiritually. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. Now, we saw last week, for the first five verses in, in chapter 5, the basis for what Paul is now saying. The day of the Lord was coming. People were worried. People were confused. People were wondering, like, what happens when a Christian dies before Jesus comes back? And what happens when all this stuff is going on, and has the day of the Lord already come? Are we in the middle of the tribulation already? What's going on? And it's clear when Paul says, let us not sleep, as others do, who he is referring to. He is contrasting non-Christians, referred to in verse 3 as them and they, now in verse 6 as others, as others do. And he's contrasting them with the believers in Thessalonica, affectionately calling them brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the Bible, and this might be shocking to you, I hope it isn't, the Bible does not blur the lines between Christians and non-Christians. It's very, very clear. The Bible doesn't blur the lines between believer and unbeliever. Now, we do have a tendency to do that. A lot of well-meaning people, you know, don't want to make people feel bad, so they kind of just blend it all in, and the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible makes a very stark contrast using terms like light and dark, life and death, polar opposites. He continues a picture that he gave in verse 2 of night and darkness where he's referring to the realm of wickedness, darkened understanding, ignorance of impending doom. And he is reassuring those in Christ. And this, if you're a believer today, this is, this is meant for your encouragement. If you're not a believer, you need to be thinking very seriously about where you stand. But if you're a Christian, this is reassuring those in Christ that you belong to a different realm from the world. In fact, verse 5 told us the position that a believer has in Christ guarantees deliverance from the day of the Lord, from the, the tribulation, from the, the wrath. We're sons of the day, sons of light. And they couldn't dwell in darkness at the same time. Not possible. Now, if you're faint-hearted, take heart. Don't be confused by all of this. Just take it 
straight up and, and, and realize this. Paul is making this very personal. In fact, he puts himself in the picture. He says in verse 5, we, and then in verse 6, us. And, and, and the reason he does this is because otherwise it would be a very sharp rebuke. <laughs> He's saying, this is about all of us. This is about all of us. And the day, in verse 5, refers to the metaphorical light that believers walk in in Christ. The spiritual environment that's completely different from non-Christians. We're going to be sitting next to each other, eating the same food, living in the same house, driving in the same car, and be living in an absolutely different spiritual realm. So he says, so then, therefore, he's introducing a new argument. Don't sleep. Watch. Be vigilant. It's the continuing attitude of a Christian. The main verb here is the word sober. It means to be self-controlled, to be restrained, to be moderate in behavior, to not be under the influence of, of drink, you know, literally, not sober means don't be under the influence of alcohol. Here, though, it's in a spiritual sense, don't be under the influence of, of wrong thoughts, of wrong ideas, of untruth. He's talking about a moral alertness that Christians need to have. That you would be so disciplined in your life as a Christian that all fear of sleeping again is removed. Like you're not wondering, am I going to fall back? into my old ways. He says, not like others. Not like others. And he's, he's not being unloving. He's being truthful. Not like others. It's impossible for the day of the Lord to catch Christians unprepared. Yet, what he's saying is, it is possible to adopt the same lifestyle as those who will be caught unaware. And he's like, don't do that. He's saying, don't do it because your salvation is guaranteed. Why would you do that? He said, be alert, be attentive to spiritual realities. And by the way, this is not about, you know, when he says don't sleep, it's not about a lazy sluggard who sleeps, you know, when he should be working or someone who happens to stay up late and doesn't get up at a reasonable hour the next day. I mean, that's not what that's about. What this is about is an ongoing state of being where someone is spiritually dead, sleeping. And he's using this, this exhortation to soberness to counteract a state of panic or, or alarm because they were so worried about whether the day of the Lord had started or so worried about Christians that had died before Jesus returns. And he's saying, look, I want to reassure your hearts. You know, you and I are worried about all sorts of things today. You might have been awake last night worrying about some things. He's saying, don't, don't, don't worry about the most important things. Because if you're a Christian... Your salvation is guaranteed. They urge uh, self-control, a balance of thinking. 
a mind that is clear in view of Christ's return. And this balances the distorted views that can come in. All the ideas that you could latch onto that aren't, aren't appropriate for a believer to be holding. Undue panic was a serious problem at that point. And so spiritual sobriety, soberness, spiritually, and self-control was the cure. Believers have been delivered from the domain of darkness, put into the marvelous light of Christ, taken out of the night of sin and ignorance into the light of God. And so he's saying, you shouldn't sleep in spiritual indifference in your life. Be alert to the issues that are going on. We're, We're not to live like spiritually darkened people. We're to be alert, we're to be balanced, we're to live godly lives under the control of of the truth. And he says in verse 7, because those who sleep do it at night. It's the realm of night, right? And those who get drunk are drunk at night, usually. But he's saying this spiritually, that sleeping and getting drunk are are nighttime activities. They're, They're of the dark, they're of spiritual darkness. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. There were some Christians that were probably living like, hey, my salvation is is guaranteed, so I get to do whatever I want. That is never what the Bible prescribes for us. Jesus said in Matthew 24, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Matthew 26, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13 in your Bibles. Go go to Romans 13. Right after he says, oh, oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. He says in Romans 13, verse 11. Look at verses 11 to 14 here. Because right along with this, this passage as well. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. How clear this call is, and it really just litters through the whole New Testament. It's just dotted all the way through that we must be sober and serious and and self-controlled as believers. Aware. We must have an unyielding belief in the Word of God and That will protect us from temptation's arrows. Peter says this, the end of all things is at hand. It's like, right, it's coming. James says the the judge is at the door. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, Peter says. Titus says, urge the younger man to be self-controlled. Titus says, the the grace of God has, has called us all to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. P. 
Peter also says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's, there's a warning. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a watchfulness that needs to be taken place in the Christian's life. And so this first exhortation in verses 6 and 7 is, live soberly. Watch for temptation. And then the second point here, the second exhortation is, is closely, closely aligned to it. It's, it's in verse 8. Live seriously and wear God's armor. Wear the armor of God. Look at verse 8. Since we belong to the day, now, you can't get clearer than that. It gets as clear. We belong to the day. Therefore, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate, breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. These are spiritual truths. Okay? This is not like you're like a, a uh, you got like a, you know, pieces of armor you're going to put on where, you know, you're going to go out and do battle physically here. This is a spiritual battle. And he's saying this. He's like, look, we belong to the day. It doesn't get clearer than that. In fact, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1, it says, working together with him, with, with Christ, this is for believers, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Verse 2, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, quoting Isaiah, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. He's talking about a day of salvation. And he says in the next verse, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that if you're an unbeliever right now, this is the day you need to become a believer. Though, if you're an unbeliever right now, this is the day you should become a, believe, a, a believer. Okay, you're going you're to hear testimonies of, of people's faith in Christ and see people get baptized. They're going to be saying, I believe in the Lord Jesus. My, my salvation is secure. And I want to publicly profess that by being baptized because Jesus commands that. If you're not a believer today, I'm like, you should become a believer today. But this verse in 2 Corinthians 6 is not saying that. It's saying, hey, Christian, you're in a new day. You're in a new day. Not a one 24-hour period day. The period of time that's your whole Christian life. The new day that salvation in Christ has put you into. This new life in Christ until he returns. Your entire life in Christ. The day. This is the new day you're in. You're in the realm, then, of safety and security and delight in Christ and deliverance because of the shed blood of Christ. And so when he says, be sober, it's a countermeasure to spiritual drunkenness where you don't think about spiritual realities. And belonging to the realm of spiritual daylight is motivation for self-control. It's described in figurative language. It, Isaiah 59 is where, is really where verse 8 is coming from. In Isaiah 59, 
In verse 16, it says that God saw there was no man and wondered that there would be no one to intercede, that his own, then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, he will repay wrath to his adversaries. It goes on to say, and a redeemer will come to Zion. Believers' salvation is guaranteed. So we're to clothe ourselves here, put on, identical or simultaneously action in relation to the main verb, sober. And he says, faith and love like a breastplate. It's protecting you spiritually. Faith in Christ, love for God and others. And hope like a helmet. Protects your mind. Your hope in Christ, it's an anchor for your soul. Breastplate and helmet were Roman military apparel. Paul is picturing Christian life in military terms, a life of sober alertness and proper equipping. It'll cover your vital organs. It's essential for protection against temptations. Trust God's truth. And Paul, again, is combining faith, love, and hope, as he did in chapter 1, verse 3. And he's saying, take up the armor and continue to wear it. Continue on in Christ. Continue on in Christ. The, the church is a group of people defined by love, by faith, and by hope. Faith in Christ, love for God and others, hope in Christ. And this idea of love for Christ and others, love God and neighbor, was not a novel idea. Jesus did say in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for another. But in Matthew 22, someone comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what is the greatest law, greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what, what Jesus is doing in, in the gospel, then, is explaining it more fully and giving fuller expression in the gospel to the love that we are to have for God and others. And when Paul says, be sober, that's a very loving thing to do for yourself and others, towards God and others. In Ephesians 5, it tells us that at one time we were darkness, and now we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Go along with it. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. We can't do that in our own strength. But by God's grace and for his glory, we can. First John says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. Faith here is represented by a soldier's shield. You see it in Ephesians 6 as well. Helmet with salvation in the future. Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Soberness is a prerequisite if you want to be a guard on duty. If you're drunk and you're trying to be a guard, it's going to prevent your effective duty as a guard. So he's saying that the equipped spiritual soldier wears a breastplate and a helmet, and they're ready. They're not panicking. There's no rush and hurry and stress. Uh, how different from us when the going gets tough, right? I mean, you got a new year. 
You all got a new year, fresh start, new day. This passage is talking about your whole life in Christ. And we are of the day. We have new life in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're in the realm of daylight. You're of the light of the day. Not, not, you're, you're not in the darkness anymore. So, so live it. What does that mean? Sober, serious self-control. What does it mean? It means don't overreact to everything that the world says. Let the word anchor your soul. Don't see yourself as a victim of the world. See yourself as a victor in Christ. There was a temptation in that day, just as there is today, to panic and overreact when you see what's going on in the world. And the reason is to be sober is that we're destined for salvation. In fact, to seal the deal, Paul then gives three reasons to be sober. And, and they're beautiful. They're assurances for every Christian. Verse 9, reason number 1. You know why you should live with sober-minded seriousness and self-control? Because God has not destined you for wrath. So reason number 1 is you'll be delivered from wrath. Destined it literally means to place into a, a spot. It, the idea is you don't get in wrath. You're not getting anger from God because you're covered by the blood of Christ, Christian. It's a guaranteed salvation. You're not appointed to suffer wrath. And God's purpose is shown in this. You will be delivered from wrath. It, the wording is such that it shows God's purpose. This is, this is our strength and our assurance. Like, think of all the things that are going on right now and how our minds can play tricks on us and how we can think all sorts of things that are untrue. And at the end of the day, it isn't if we can work ourselves up into believing more. It's to accept the truth as it stands. You'll be delivered from wrath. And reason number two is also in verse 9 and then into verse 10, you will be delivered from sin. Christian, rejoice in this. You will be delivered from sin. You're, you're, you're slugging it out in life right now, battling your sin and battling other people's sin. And, and 9 says this, you are not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Obtain is a very, very strong word. And it doesn't mean that you go get it at the store. Like you go buy it. You go, you go somehow get it because you earn it or because you're, you, know, you have been really good and so you're going to get that. What this is saying is we will receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the receiving here, the word literally means to gain, to, to win, interesting, acquire, possess. We will obtain it by no human effort. Absolutely no human effort. This is God's unconditional appointment of believers to salvation. God will save his people. A believer's Salvation is guaranteed. Chapter 1, verse 4 says that believers have been elected, chosen by God before the foundation of the world. The Bible also says very clearly, all through the New Testament, we've been adopted into Christ. We are possessed by God as his very own. We belong to Christ. So here's how you find relief from all the the frantic panic and activity that disturbs 
your anticipation of future glory, you believe 2 Timothy 2.19. It says, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Because verse 10 says that Jesus died for us. Now, we hear this so many times as Christians that we can kind of get a little bit inoculated to it. But let's just look at the verse again. God, verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us. That whether we are awake, meaning alive, or asleep, dead, we might live with him. A life lived by faith is secured by the definite death of Jesus. This is the, and by the way, this is how huge this is right here. This is the first time in Paul's writings that he states the specific means by which Jesus Christ bought our salvation. He died for us. It's the first time in the New Testament that it had ever been spoken. In Romans, uh, in Romans, in, in First and Second uh, Corinthians, and in Galatians, about five years later, Paul will say very similar things. But this is the first mention of the death of Christ in Paul's writings. And his death, you'll notice, was for us, in our place, our substitute, on our behalf. The sole condition for God to possess a people destined for salvation when the rest of the world will be plunged into wrath on that day is that Jesus died for us. So sufficient is Christ's death that it brings assurance of future life with every obstacle out of the way. This is our assurance in Christ that your sobriety, your self-control, or your lack thereof, and this, this might be the most shocking part of this passage. What this is telling us is that your sobriety, your self-control, spiritually, or lack thereof, does not affect the issue. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's going to give somebody a license to just go and sin as much as they want. No, no. When you know Christ and you know he died for you and you know that, you're, that your salvation is guaranteed, it gives you a heart that is so grateful for what Jesus did. But when you can grasp that your performance doesn't change your salvation as a Christian, it frees you to live for the glory of God. Future salvation for a Christian fully provided by Christ's finished work cannot be canceled for any reason. Our future salvation is guaranteed. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can separate us, Romans 8, 39, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, why would he say this? Why would he say this and make it sound like, hey, you can just live however you'd like? Because he's telling them to be sober 
and serious-minded about spiritual things. He's not telling them, do whatever you want. He's saying, live godly, live to please God, but don't ever think that your good behavior somehow earns you a place in the kingdom. Every qualification has been met through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. So do then what accompanies salvation, but you, you have to know you don't earn it. And the greatest motivation to godliness is, is when, when, you, when you say, I'm not bringing anything to the table here, just my sin, and I have new life in Christ, and I will enjoy a future resurrection in union with Christ. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Romans tells us, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He died for all, that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who's for their, who for their sake died and was raised. Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. These are the reasons why you would want to live a life of serious, sober-minded self-control, that you're going to be delivered from the wrath of God, and you are going to be delivered from sin. And third reason, verse 11. By the way, verse 11 is not just a, a bookmark, you know, a bookend to somehow cap this off. This is huge. You'll be delivered from despair. From despair. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You're doing it. Keep doing it. With that guarantee, with this guarantee, encourage each other. Build each other up. It's a present active imperative. It's comfort each other. Build each other up. Edify one another like you're doing. Keep doing it. Like church, you're doing a great job. Keep doing it. Strengthen every believer, encourage one another, console one another, build each other up. This is a tough world we're living in. Hebrews 3 says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10 says, not neglecting to meet together is it the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Romans 14 says, pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 15 says, let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 1 Corinthians 14 says, strive to excel in building up the church. It's an other-oriented view. Because with his overarching theme of love, how the beloved become more beloved to each other as they anticipate the return of Christ, he now turns to the most loving thing they can do. Perfect response to the guaranteed salvation. 
comes from grateful heart serves Christ. Be sober, be, be watchful, be self-controlled. Don't overreact with all the things that are happening right now in the world as the world falls apart. By the way, you know, it's interesting, all the doomsday predictions. Well, the, uh, the words of the dis- demise of the, of, the, of the universe are, um, are underexplained in the world. The wrath of God is coming. And baked into this command to be sober is the expectation that you would measure your life, that you would live carefully. And I, I'm just wondering, what is occupying your mind the most as you start 2020, 2022? Excuse me. What plans are bouncing around in your head? I was reading a bunch of articles the other day about all these lists that everybody has about here's what you should do at the beginning of the year and here's all the kind of goals you should make and what have you and can I just set you free and say don't do that right now (laughs) just enjoy Christ with me for a few moments how might you purpose to live then without a whole list of things you you must do to feel like you're a good Christian I would say first, adore Jesus. When Jesus returns, there's not going to be some big debate, us claiming that we were right all along with our views. We will behold Jesus and we will enjoy him in his presence and worship him forever. And I would just encourage you to find your comfort in Christ. It will illuminate the confusion and the conflict that the world presses upon your soul. Secondly, I would encourage you to aim to give. When you think self-control, your mind might immediately go to, well, that's about physical self-discipline. I need to eliminate chocolate or add more exercise or what have you. The heart of this passage goes far deeper. It goes to our heart. It goes right to our heart that we should live with a gospel urgency and, and give rather than seeking to take. He says, encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. Look towards each other and figure out how I can do this more. And then the third thing I would just say is ask why. With everything you're doing this year, check your motives. Just ask why. Why in everything I do, why am I doing this or that? Why do I want to post this or that? Why do I want to say that? Why do I want to wear that? Why do I want to eat that? Why do I want to drink that? Why do I want to take that? Why? Is it for the glory of God? John Stott said self-control is primarily mind control. And I would just say to you that this is not about avoiding certain foods or exercising more. And this is not about virtue signaling or calling attention to yourself. This is not about shutting off social media. And this is not about having to post everything in your life every moment. It's about not overreacting to everything that's going on in the world and in your heart and in your home. It's, it's about not responding in anger and letting things fester. It's just about serious-minded self-control that is really the most loving thing you can do because it sets your mind on Christ and others. And yeah, the world is collectively tired right now. We get it. We know it. We're all dealing with it. It's kind of like, you ever been at the ocean and you get stuck in the waves and you take a breath and as soon as you catch your breath, another wave hits you and maybe that's how this moment in time feels. The world keeps piling on. But I'll say this, for every Christian, your outlook 
is going to be shaped today by how good or bad you thought 2021 was. And I challenge you to take this passage to heart. You're not a victim of the world. You are a victor in Christ. You're in the world, but not of it. And you have a very bright future because your salvation is guaranteed in Christ, regardless of any circumstances now. Your security in Christ frees you to take the risks. Watched a movie once called Free Solo where a guy climbed without ropes. You're not climbing without ropes, Christian. You're no lone ranger. You've got ropes. Because believer, your soul is anchored in Christ. Well, Lord, we praise you because this could never come from us. We love you because you first loved us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to cling to the truth that we will be delivered from wrath and from sin and from despair. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ, for the joy, and even for the sober, serious self-control because our salvation is guaranteed that we would live in such a way that displays the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.